Round three between Syracuse and Duke goes to the Blue Devils. Too much Zion Williamson. They win it 84-72. Here to break it down on this FizzCast, Tim Leonard, Jonathan Hoppy, who was at the game in Charlotte and there all week following the ACC tournament for us here at Orange Fizz. Zion Williamson, I'm sure seen in person, was even more remarkable. It's weird because this was a game where Syracuse was down in the first half, down really big. They get that big spark, and in the end, they lose by 12, and it felt like somehow it was a closer game than that. Well, Tim, I just first want to say, don't think that I'm back today because I thought Syracuse was going (laughs) to lose in the quarters the entire way. I'm back for another obligation. If they were still playing, I'd still be here in Syracuse today. But with that being said, now that I am here after seeing Zion play yesterday, you said it. I mean, the guy's just an animal. I mean, he is tenacious. He is everything above. He's a guy that's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. And frankly, he causes a lot of problems for Syracuse, especially when Pascal Chukwu fouls out in basically no time out on the court. As soon as he came in or left the game and Barama came in, I said, Ooh, I don't know about this one, but actually Barama (laughs) held his own, I guess you could say, but at the end of the day, Zion's going to get his no matter if it's Pascal, Barama, heck, even maybe Derek Coleman. I mean, this guy is one of the best players in college basketball we've seen in a long time. He might be the most famous college basketball player ever at this point, and obviously he returns from injury after missing five games, but you said Barama kind of held his own. We saw some great play from Buddy Beheim. You can't say that enough, how important – Buddy Beheim was getting the starting role, and that was kind of really the big takeaway from this tournament for me, is these role players stepping up without Tyus Battle on the floor obviously misses both games with a bruised hip, bruised back, and you really hope that you get Tyus Battle back because we know that determines the ceiling of this team. But to see those role players step up, Frank Howard obviously last night, career-high 28 points, and there was some good and bad with Frank Howard. But when you put up 28 points, that says a lot about where this team is trending, specifically the role players. It felt good, didn't it? It felt like Syracuse looked like an actual good basketball team, something we can't always say. But, you know, Tim... You touched on Buddy Beheim. I want to talk about him because he did end the day pretty nicely. You know, he finished, played 35 minutes, 15 points, 5 of 9 shooting, 3 of 5 downtown as I just rattle off his stat line. (laughs) The bottom line is, though, he was not very effective to start the game. And that was sort of the recipe to get Syracuse back in the game, back in the driver's seat against Pitt. It's that Buddy Beheim was being aggressive looking for his shots. Now, Duke focused in on him, but the reason that SU fell behind in the first half, one of many reasons, was that Buddy Beheim was not a factor. So going forward, this is a guy who's going to play a lot of minutes. We've seen him as ACC play has gone on. He's just got to look for his shots, and his teammates have to find him. He's got to be aggressive because... Boy, it changes the game when he pulls up for three straight away. Well, you saw what John Gillen tweeted about him, saying he's fearless. He really likes him, and he's getting a lot of that exposure and a lot of that notoriety from some of these former players. He even said that after the Pittsburgh game, in the first half, he struggled. Being in that starting role in the very first half of that Pittsburgh game, the whole team struggled to be down against Pittsburgh. You forget, they were down six in that half, down six in both halves, but 
Obviously, being down six to Pitt and being down six to Duke is completely different things. But Buddy struggled in the first half, and all his teammates said, you know what, keep shooting, man. Keep shooting, keep shooting, and that's exactly what he did. He gets the career high against Pitt. And when you see Buddy do what he's doing, you can't help but think of the future a little bit. I know it's kind of silly to be doing that going into March Madness with this team trending up, and there's a whole lot of season left you'd hope for Syracuse basketball, and a lot to be excited about now going into March Madness. But to see a freshman doing that and to see Jim Beheim say about his son, he exceeded expectations this year. And you can't deny that, especially after what he did in non-conference play. He was well below expectations, dealing with the adversity and the pressure. And all of a sudden, now he is one of the go-to guys on this team. It's really a crazy transformation he has made in the past two months. He stunk in non-conference play. I mean, he was not somebody that people wanted to see out there on the floor. He couldn't throw a tennis ball in the lake, as Zion Williamson (laughs) said yesterday about him shooting free throws, but I think we'll let that one slide if you're a basketball fan after what he did. Buddy Beheim is the man for the Syracuse team. He provides that spark, usually off the bench, and whenever you have a guy like that that can just pour it in, I mean, he brings so much energy. I tweeted out yesterday, Zion Williamson's great and all, but have you seen Buddy Beheim shoot a three? Because you feel like when he lights it up, that the Carrier Dome crowd, the crowd at Spectrum Center last night for Syracuse, the fans love it. I mean, they absolutely love it when Buddy Beheim There were some pours Buddy chants, right? There were. Let's go Orange, Buddy. I mean, everything. Better crowd against Pitt because, you know, the Blue Bloods come in town, UNC and Duke. They bought out most of the seats in that Charlotte arena. But at the end of the day, Buddy Beheim. I mean, it's exciting. And you do get the feeling, Tim, after what we saw in the ACC tournament. The Pitt game wasn't great to start, but then they turned on the heat. The Duke game, I feel like they exceeded expectations, and that's what people wanted to see. You'd almost count that as a moral victory. And right. Coach Beheim actually— Especially without battle. Right, and he said that. You know, we did a lot of good things. Battle's coming back. We like where we are at right now. I think that was the goal for Syracuse because going into the tournament, people weren't saying that. They were saying, this team is not playing great ball right now. Now, they still aren't. Don't get me wrong. I mean, let's not throw a parade just yet. But it is exciting to think about what Syracuse could do because we know they've got a history of making some pretty good moves and upsetting some folks in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we'll see where they are seated. Of course, you can follow along on Twitter at Orange Fizz once we get that information on Selection Sunday. Right now, many saying 8-9 seed, and I feel like as we get closer and closer to the tournament, it's just setting up for a Gonzaga matchup in Salt Lake City. And I know that's just what Joe Lenardi's been saying for a while, and It is kind of the consensus take right now that they're going to go to Salt Lake City and play against Gonzaga, but the way the ACC teams are playing, you figure that a couple or at least two, probably maybe even three one seeds could be ACC teams, probably two at the end of the day, and they're not going to put Syracuse against two of those ACC one seeds because they don't want to risk them meeting in the second round, and if Syracuse does fall in that 8-9 category, they won't do that, so... It's really, you got Gonzaga or the SEC champion. Right now, many have Kentucky pegged on that one line. Tennessee could get to that one line maybe if they win the SEC championship. But when you see those teams, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Kentucky, who in all likelihood will be that second-round matchup, one of the three for Syracuse, I feel like they could beat them if they get Tyus Battle back, if they get Buddy making threes, if they play like they did sort of in the second half against Pittsburgh and that good stretch for Duke, obviously that's taken away all the bad from this team. But 
why not? I mean, these are they've proven that they can get things done in March, and this is a group that has had some success. Frank Howard, guys like that are back, and then you couple that with Buddy Beheim and some of these guys that are playing well. It's definitely a tough draw to play a one seed in the second round, but you feel like there is that ceiling and that potential again this year. Yeah, let's face it. I mean, March Madness, they call it that for a reason. Pretty much anybody can win, but Syracuse isn't just anybody. They play well against Duke. Now, for some reason, they don't play well against North Carolina, but when you talk about the three games against the Blue Devils, really the game at the Dome was the worst one, and you look at the other two, they were really right in there in the second half, and that's something that I think has to be accounted for because Duke has the most talent of any team in the country. So when you look at it that way, you feel good about pretty much anybody. I mean, a team like Kentucky or even a Tennessee out of the SEC, you know, that'll present some different challenges if they do play them, a Gonzaga team that's very well-disciplined as well. Well, you're also getting a team that doesn't go against a 2-3 zone very very often. You're right. They don't play that kind of style, and that helps Syracuse out traditionally. I mean, that's the narrative around this team. That's why it happens, and there's a lot of matchups. Say they play Tennessee, you're playing a Rick Barnes team who – Really, there's a lot of pressure on them to get out of the first weekend, where Syracuse doesn't have much pressure. After making the Sweet 16 with realistically no expectations, last team in the field, and they somehow get to the Sweet 16, there's not much pressure this year. And they're, it's, it's off Jim Beheim's back. Once he got to the Sweet 16, there's no, much, no more pressure for Jim. He's gotten some recruits. There's no pressure on this team. I don't know if you feel that way. I feel like there's individual pressure for Syracuse, but at the end of the day, that's all going to get taken care of either way. I think there's pressure on that first game, and that's one thing that maybe we're all sort of overlooking is we're already all looking at, all right, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Kentucky. How would we match up against them? But you got to keep in mind they've got to beat a team that is right at their skill level, an 8 or a 9 seed depending on what the opposite seed they are. And depending on who they draw, and obviously everyone wants to see Washington in that 8-9 game, and that's been talked about. The thing for me is I don't see that happening. I think there's almost no chance it happens if Syracuse is in Salt Lake City because then Washington is going to get – they're not going to put Washington in the West region with the idea that Washington would have – somewhat of a good geographical Yeah, that'd work out okay for them. Yeah, so I don't – the closer we get to Syracuse and to March Madness, it feels like – there's no chance that they're going to play Washington unless they maybe threw a curveball and brought Syracuse more in that Columbia region, and then you're playing against the SEC champion. So maybe then you could see the Hopkins versus Bayheim matchup of the zones there. But a lot of these 8-9 teams, you look at them on paper, and I can tell you what, if you're Gonzaga, if you're Tennessee, if you're Kentucky, the team you're circling is Syracuse that you're scared of in terms of when you get your bracket and you see an 8 or a 9 seed because Syracuse has way more pedigree and some of these other teams, a UCF and Iowa, a VCU, just to name a couple that are on that 8-9 line, it's Syracuse that has had the success in the tournament that is really what scares these teams. To quote Jim Beheim, every coach in the country is circling Syracuse on their calendar in March because they know how potent that 2-3 zone is and they know what it can do to you in such a short notice. And that's been the problem for opponents over the years, and it will continue to be the problem. I guess my thing is, is like you said, Joey Brackett seems to think it's going to be Salt Lake City. My thing is, let's say Virginia and Carolina come out of the ACC, which I guess for one seeds isn't too likely considering Carolina-Duke play tonight, and I think we both agree that Duke 
Most we'll likely going to win that one. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will already know the result of that game, but we're recording it before that. I think whoever wins that game is going to be the one seed, and then Virginia's got it locked up as well. If no Carolina wins, they're a one seed. Yeah. But hopefully you're listening to this and Duke won, because that's <laughs> what I think is going to happen. Well, well, we will see. I think Duke as well. The interesting thing, though, is how – I mean, we're talking a lot about what the matchups will be, but how can Syracuse – actually go on this run in the tournament and I think for me it comes down to a couple stats that have really it's not anything out of the ordinary or out of the box here this has been things we have been following all year long with this team it's one rebounding you've got to rebound as a team and when I say that I mean when you go up against a blue blood like a UNC or Duke you can't get out rebounded by 15 or 20 teams like that when you go up against some of these one seeds you've got to be rebounding the basketball much better than they have shown I mean they're 12 and 0 when they out rebound teams they're undefeated on the season when they out rebound their opponent they did that against Pittsburgh and I know 12 12 times out rebounding a team is not good enough really when you consider how long and lanky this team is but it's the zone and that's been a critique with the zone forever is that they allow too many offensive rebounds obviously Zion is a force and a big reason why they lost to Duke was the offensive glass. But the other thing for me is three-point shooting. Because once they make their threes, they're a completely different team. And that falls on guys like Frank Howard, Buddy Beheim. We know Elijah Hughes has been doing it. But even someone like O'Shea Brissett being able to step up his jump shot in March. Because when they shoot the three above 40%, above 35%, this is a team that gets clicking on offense. They get confidence. And they play like that preseason top 25 team we all imagined. That's why Buddy Beheim is such a big deal. Not necessarily because he's that important in his own player. Sure, he's an important guy, but the reason is he makes threes, and you can feel it. This team is just yearning for any type of production behind the three-point line. It's been that way for the past few seasons. Buddy Beheim is like the Andrew White of a few seasons ago, right. where he's pretty much your guy from downtown. You've got a battle, is like a Gillen maybe who can he's getting periodically to that, like, hit it. Trevor Cooney level, almost. right? And he and provides the need. spark that's so necessary because it brings a different dynamic to this team. What I'm interested to see is when they get battle back. I mean, Beheim had a breakout week. Uh, I felt like he was on a next level. For once in his career at Syracuse, people looked at this guy and said, wow, he, he's a legitimate dude. Yeah. You know, he's somebody that, that we can count on. But was on. that because he was getting more minutes and maybe that was in there all along? Or was it just simply an outlier and, hey, we can't expect that if the if he plays 30 minutes in the tournament? I think we've seen a growth in his game throughout the season, and it's really coming into form right now. Sure, the minutes won't be quite as big, but I do think when Battle gets back, as we all assume he's going to be for the NCAA tournament, you can expect more minutes. I think he's going to eat into some minutes from O'Shea Brissett, Elijah Hughes, especially depending on who's on and who's off, because as we know, it's rarely are all three of those guys on at the same time. Yeah, it feels like every time we do these fizz casts, it kind of comes back to O'Shea being the X factor and I and I know it's kind of beating a dead horse at this point but his jump shot has not been the same this year we know that his free throw percentages have fallen off a cliff really but he did show flashes in that second half against Duke a little stretch there. I think he looks there. pretty good this week and, I and, really yeah. do. Yeah and now it's starting to see okay if he can play like that if he can score in traffic the way he did against Duke I mean if he can do it against Duke in the ACC tournament 
you'd think that's about as tough of a test as it as it gets. The stats aren't necessarily there to back me up from this week, but the eye test and the leadership role, the intangibles that he brought out to the court against Pitt and Duke, it seemed like he was settling in. And now listening in, watching this team before they took the court last night, they're fired up. And, you know, Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, those are two guys leading this team, especially with no Tyus Battle in the ACC tournament. They had everybody loose. Jalen Carey comes in, makes some plays. You do feel like this team is feeling good as they move into March. And they've always been confident about themselves. I, I think that's never really been a question. Right. This team has been confident. So now here in mid-March, you feel solid about them going on the road next week, which is crazy to think that next week, less than a week away from now, Syracuse will be playing their first game in the NCAA tournament. And who knows where it'll be. Unless the committee throws a curveball and and leaves them out (laughs) of the field. Yeah, I don't think that's happening (laughs) this year. For once, they're not sweating. They're not going to be one of those teams that's pictured on the NCAA tournament show. So no Lenardi tweets? No Lenardi? I don't know about Syracuse. Yeah, Uh, I think that's going to be tired. Who you got, Joe? I don't know. I I don't (laughs) choose Syracuse. All right, Joe, thanks for your help. It is kind of fun, though, when they're that team on the bubble. In a weird way, I guess it's fun in hindsight once they make it and you get to react and have the jubilation of it all. And this year, of course, they're not going to be going name by name in alphabetical order. But after seeing this team in person in the ACC tournament in Charlotte and we're sitting here talking about how they could make this run possible, who they might play, do you have any opinions one way or the other? Has it changed based on what you saw? A team without Tyus Battle win a game, and then fall to Duke, but put up a valiant effort. I don't see Syracuse. Let's say they're at 8-9. I don't see them coming out of the first weekend. Yeah. This does not seem like a team to me that can beat a number one seed. When you look at it the entire season, they've come close. And the Duke game, if you want to put a little asterisk up there because of the players that were injured for Duke, Trey Jones, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I do think that they have a shot. I just don't see them beating. They're, they're definitely not going to beat a Virginia. Like you said, they probably won't play them. Gonzaga, they've, they've got a chance, but they have not really beaten the big guys this year except that one game against Duke. So that's what concerns me. Certainly exciting, though, and it's must-see television for people in the area and fans across the country. Yeah, and I guess a take that's been brought up throughout this whole eight, nine, ten seed debacle and, and where they are and what would be best is people are arguing, I'd rather have the ten seed because that means that you're going against not the number one seed in the second round if you win, but likely the number two seed, assuming they get passed. Although, remember last time they were the ten seed, Michigan State did fall as the two seed and they got lucky in that draw. But do you have any stance one way or the other on that? Because I feel like For me, it still comes down to you want the highest seed possible because you can't overlook that first-round matchup. It's much easier to play a 8 seed in the first round or a 9 seed versus playing a 7 seed. And at the end of the day, you got to take it a game at a time. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to beat the guy to be the guy. So that's the thing with me is, sure, would you like to put up another Sweet 16 banner somewhere? Yeah, that'd be nice. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to pull off a major upset as an 8, 9, or 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. I don't really look into that kind of thing too much. You get your seeding, you want to knock down the first opponent, and you want to keep doing it. So that's the bottom line for me. I like their chances you know, to win that first game, regardless of, of who it's against. It's just the second game that worries me. But as we talk about, any given day, they could pull something out of their hat. 
All right, that'll do it for this edition of the FizzCast. For Jonathan Hoppy, who is down in Charlotte, I'm Tim Winter. Keep it locked all throughout the week on Twitter at OrangeFizz. Also, OrangeFizz.net for a written post about Syracuse's hopefully a tournament run for the Orange yet again. Selection Sunday coming up, and we will have you covered. Until next time, thanks for listening to the FizzCast.